So for me, I just felt like all the things that I learned, like, lent on all the things that I would use as my, my crutch like when I feel weak and to feel kind of purposeful in life had been stripped away from me and I kind of felt bare. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways and on this podcast they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools and the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Matt Zanette Wanty, who is the founder of My Mind Matters. She is a speaker. And uh, we're gonna get into a lot of other things that um, Meg definitely gets involved with because she keeps she keeps busy. How are you doing, Meg? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me today, Sophie. It is so exciting to be here, and the weather's good. You've picked the perfect time to do this. What can I say? You know, the weather just came with you. <laughs> 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 and as we record I mean, this, go on. I mean, I can't, I can't deny that. Look at the breath refresh. My house is sunny. I'm sunny. We're in the colours of the sun. So I completely agree. <laughs> As we're recording this right now, um, Boris recently announced the changes to lockdown, which we're coming out of over the next three or four months or whatever. And it's just interesting to find out what, how has your lockdown journey been from the start, the middle, and I'm going to call this the end. I'm, I'm speaking in hope and speaking in faith, the end, as we come towards the end. How's that whole journey been for you? Wow. Okay. So um, we're approaching a year since we went into the first lockdown. So lockdown point one. And um, for me, unlike a lot of people um, where things kind of stopped, for us in the company, things were just they went from like zero to a hundred real quick. And as anyone knows, if you had a company, there was just so much uncertainty and a lot of things that needed to change. And I remember we called like an emergency meeting with the team to say with our board and everything. And I said, okay, we're literally going to have to stop what we're doing and transform right now. So we had to completely change our business model. Where My Mind Matters 2 was this sort of innovation hub, research and development consultancy for mental health for young people, where we used to go into schools and universities and corporate companies to deliver these workshops and like, you know, teach people what mental health and mental illness is and how you can become the best version of yourself. We were like, well, everything is closed now. What can we do? So instead of trying to hold on to what we know, we let go of that and stepped into the unknown. And I feel like that's a representation of what was going on in my own life. And for me, I was so used to being busy. I kind of said to you about how much I travel. Like I travel so many times a year, like with work, with family, with friends, like traveling is my hobby. That is what, so if anyone asks like, what do you do for fun? Mine is traveling a hundred percent. So for me, I just felt like all the things that I learned, like, lent on all the things that I would use as my, my crutch like when I feel weak and to feel kind of purposeful in life had been stripped away from me and I kind of felt bare 
And the way that I describe it is almost like clothes. When you are, you know, turning inside out a top or some trousers and you see the hem and the stitching, all the things that are not pretty. I felt like that's what happened to me during lockdown. Lockdown was like this big reveal, this big reverse. All the things that were on inside of me, they came all out with a magnifying glass. I realised that I wasn't fulfilled. I realised like I was concentrating too much on what could be seen on the surface. I realised that I relied so much on having control over everything. And as a Christian, mate, I know God has control, but even in my life, there was some level of like arrogance in terms like, I'm going to go for these things. I'm in control. And the carpet got swept under, under me and I had to change. And um, I think something that was really big at the moment um, in this particular season, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to realise like what the word was, but God gave me a word and it was about metamorphosis. And I feel like this next season I'm going into, you know, we are in February approaching March and we're heading into spring. The weather is getting brighter the, you know, the days are getting longer, things feel different. There is a new tide coming, right? And um, for me, I felt like I also need to change with the season. I think a lot of us realise that we need to change but don't want to. Either it's fear, it's this control or the unknown. And I've been really looking into sort of caterpillars and the science kind of behind them. And that's why metamorphosis is like sort of really important to me because you know, caterpillars go through stages, right? They go from a caterpillar, they go into their cocoon and they become a butterfly. But no one sees what happens underneath that cocoon. Like there is a huge transformation, a lot of energy that needs to be done, but no one sees it. And I think for myself in change and, you know, evolving and becoming who I need to be, I think I'm so used to seeing people go from the caterpillar to the butterfly and not seeing that transformation in between. So for me, lockdown was that transformation in between. You couldn't see a lot of the things on the surface, but so many things were being stripped away from me. Some of the things that weren't necessary. And I think what I'm starting to realise and embrace about change is that even though the caterpillar isn't necessarily present in the same way that it was before when it becomes a butterfly, that same caterpillar is there. There's a reminiscence of it. The foundations of what makes it who it is, is partly there. And I was just like, Meg, just because you're changing and evolving, just because there's this tension and, you know, you're feeling a bit lost and your identity feels like it's kind of, you know, you don't really know what it is. It feels very misconstrued and feels kind of thrown out into something that you just can't attain right now, it's okay, it's part of the process. And I realised that sometimes we, as human beings, we constantly feel like we need to be doing things, but we've never been human beings. We're not human doings, we're human beings, which means, you know, living and being present and just going with the seasons. And I realised, like, especially when we, we can learn a lot about nature, every time I look out, and I think this is what lockdown told me, like going on walks, looking out more, plugging off from social media and plugging into the world, that's my challenge. Um, and that's been my thing that I've been looking into. But you realise that seasons change and, you know, if the world was supposed to stay the same, there would be no such things as seasons. And yet I personally, and probably many of us, feel like we should not change, you know, like there's no room for change. And if we can just take something from the physical world and what's happening naturally, we can embrace it a lot more. So in a long story short, lockdown forced me to deal with my insecurities. A lot of the things that I had been hiding with success, you know, accolades, my business, the public talks, being busy, 
busy all the time. Like my dis definition of being successful was busy. If you had too many things to do, if you were doing like multiple different things, you were in this pot, that pot, that pot, that pot, that's you being successful. That's you being productive. That's you getting somewhere. When actually, like we can learn from the caterpillar, just because there's no movement on the outside doesn't mean there's things not happening. Doesn't mean that it's not working towards its purpose. So that's what something I learned. I learned to stop more let go and also inject, you know, inject anything that I feel like makes me happy into my life. I have a choice. I realise that actually, although I couldn't control some things, I have a lot of control over other things. I can control what I consume. I control what I say yes or no to. Like my power of yes and my power of no became a thing. I realised that, you know, just because everyone's active all the time, you know, people are online 24 7 doesn't mean that you have to be online 24 7 yeah. doesn't mean that you have to be accessible 24 7 so those are like my key takeaways and actually like in this moment i want to ask you a question i want to ask you how did lockdown change your life you know how did lockdown change some of your mindset because this is the thing that i love to hear the most like what have people learned what happened to you how the hell were you dealing with the changes <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think one speaking to what you just talked around, that's a very very powerful metaphor to use to describe what lockdown was for a lot of people. I think we all did go into a cocoon, and for some of us, it stopped us and stripped away the business and the noise, in a sense, that we used to hide from those voices and those thoughts that we really need to sit with ourselves. And this forced us to kind of shine a light on ourselves, like, okay, what am I really going through? What am I really dealing with? And what do I need to face to help me become a better person as I come out, as I emerge from that butterfly? And that's something that I, I normally do on a regular basis, but during this period especially, I did a lot of um, soul searching in a sense. Mm. At that point in time, I, I had, when we were into lockdown, I had um, two companies. And one was just um, emerging and one was already going and successful. And the one that was just emerging, there were a lot of plans I had, things lined up, and that just completely stopped for a minute. And when that stopped, I thought that was a sign for me to actually let go of that business and focus on the one that was doing really, really well. It turned out to be the opposite. <laughs> so during that whole lockdown period, it turned out for me, it was actually the one that you're just it's going to take you the most effort, we're going to take you the more time to push, is the one that you get value from the most. It's the one that wow. makes you come alive. It's the one that you can add so much more to the lives of other people and make the changes you really want to make. So you need to let go of this safety. And bear in mind, when, uh, when lockdown, people are losing their jobs and all that kind of stuff, and I'm, I'm still thriving from a um, financial perspective. But I just felt for me, again, I'm Christian as well, I felt God saying, you need to let go of that. And just trust me that, yes, it's going to be a lot harder and a lot more difficult on the long term. It's going to be a lot, a lot more rewarding. And that's kind of what I went through from my business standpoint, from a personal standpoint. For me, it was all about just enjoying time with my family and being grateful. Mm -hmm. Like spending time on a day-to-day -day basis every day, eating together, talking together, sharing together. We had gratitude jars, playing games on a regular basis and just having fun. Like the house was a bit of a madness. The kids were doing all sorts <laughs> of stuff or all sorts of games and then we just kind of leaned into it so it was great from a personal perspective and from a business perspective i just had to shift things 
I think for me, it's back to what you said. It's you can control. You can't control the outside. I couldn't control COVID nineteen. I couldn't control what the government was doing, whether I agree or not. But I could control myself. I could control mm. my actions. I could get up every morning and exercise. I make sure I'm looking after my, my mental health and prioritizing that. I could get up and show up and do what I need to do from a business standpoint. I could make sure I'm the best person I can be as a husband and as a father and as a friend and make sure I'm reaching out to my people. Those are the things that I can control. So I focused on those things I can control. And that's how I got through this and so Wow. I really love that. I love that because um, I think you mentioned like a really important thing, which is around like sort of family and just being present. And I think um, you asked me earlier, like, what do I feel about the new announcement? And I guess my biggest fear before talking now was around like just health anxiety. Is it definitely, you know, going to be safe for us to go out? And we'd kind of seen the same thing play out last year. You know, things got relaxed. Summer kind of felt fine like I remember summer now and I'm like actually we were doing enjoyment like summer was great um but now I'm just slowly starting to think about all of these things that we've learned and adapted and you know taken on and these lessons that we've been able to you know learn from what if they disappear what if the world doesn't actually change and it goes back to the same old things you start prioritizing the wrong things people start being grateful people start you know caring more about the things that we left behind and i think yeah that's probably my biggest fear now for myself like will i actually hold on to some of these changes that i've now implemented or will i go back to being too busy to prioritize my family my real friends you know my mental health my physical health like am i going to feel like I need to do all of these things for who? Who even decides what is successful and what's not, what you should be doing and what's not? So I think that's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is, will I have lost all the things that we've already been working in in this season? And will everything go back to normal? Because it would be a wasted opportunity. I think there's there's something else I actually wanted to touch on now, which was like, what were some of my fears about lockdown when it first started? and during it and um one of my biggest things was am I gonna miss out on what like how big of an opportunity lockdown is right you know every you know everyone talks about like you know creating your side hustle you know um picking up new habits you know going to the gym getting your best body all of these things but for me it was like am I gonna miss out on the opportunities to take a step back and do the things I really want to do the things that I had no time for, the things that I kept saying like, oh, they're just not right time. It's not the right moment. Like I don't have the right resources. And sometimes I feel like, did I waste the lockdown? Like when it disappears, am I going to miss the lockdown? You know, you know, the saying like the grass is greener on the other side. Maybe the grass is not greener. Maybe we didn't realize how good we had it. And I think these are probably thoughts that people are having in their heads. Like, I think it's so easy on social media, especially right now, to see everyone say, yeah, it's summer's going to be enjoyment. I'm going clubs. I'm going to travel. Da, 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 da. But that's not going to be it for everyone. You know, people that have like social anxiety, people that have health anxiety, you know, people that are feeling depressed. These are all things that don't change just because the sun's coming out. So I think there needs to be a level of sensitivity, which is like, are you still going to check in on your friends? Are you still going to make the effort to invite people that may not want to come out and, you know, make them feel involved? And are we still going to care about looking after you, your 
your space, your mental health. And um, I definitely think those are things that are in my head now. Um, I don't know about you. How are you feeling about the new announcement and like things that are going to be a lot less stricter and the restrictions are lifting? Yeah, I think there is, there definitely is that worry that there's a, there was a feeling, especially when I think back around the NHS and people on the front line, there was feeling of come together, let's support each other, be there for one another. That happened a lot last year. And actually then when we went into like lockdown two and lockdown 3.0, that kind of started to shift already. And I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, like, it seems that for a short period of time, we took the focus off our selves and our selfishness and we cared about other people and we cared about humanity. And my biggest fear and worry is that's going to change. Because even when you look at what happened with um, Black Lives Matter, the reason why it blew up so much was because people took the shift and the focus off themselves and instead looking at other people. Mm. So it's like now that, again, we're going to go back into normality, we can then go out, we can then party. What you're going to see is for some people, the reason why they're so excited to get out there, which don't, don't get me wrong, I'm excited to get out there, but for some people, what you described at the start, that whole sitting with yourself has not been easy. And they want to get out there because they want to hide behind the partying, the, the um, whatever it is they're going to be doing, the lifestyle they can, they can show. They want to hide behind the image and be like, yeah, I'm on social media and this is, my, this is me living my best life. Because, interesting enough, someone was doing um, some research and he said there were a lot of accounts that were very prominent before lockdown, but during the lockdown period, they were very, very quiet because all mm-hmm. those accounts ever showed were the highlight reels. But now they're going through something that it can't be look at me and it's not real they went quiet because they didn't want to show that side of them and now what you're going to see is a lot of those accounts are probably going to pop back up again because it's now look at me you don't want to sit with who you are and the fact that you can actually be thinking around i don't want to let this go i don't want to lose what lockdown has taught me and i'm sure you're starting to put in plans and, and things into place and systems into place that help you to make sure that doesn't change for you is a positive step because you're thinking about it you've been intentional about it people yeah. don't stop and think and be intentional about it and they'll lose the benefits they got from it i mean um i was in a session not too long ago with um a consultancy with a bunch of fathers and someone said this is the first time ever that fathers have been at generally speaking fathers have been at home newborn fathers have been at home with their kids this long because normally yeah. you only get, what, a week or two and you're, and you're back at work. And the interesting thing was talking to those guys who were all 40, 50, one of them was 55, and they'd been working for 20, 25 years, high flyers at, the, at their companies. They all said, we don't want to go back to how things were. Yeah. That if not for lockdown, we would just carry on as normal. They were like, actually, they'll be spending time with our babies. All their kids were two months and under. Spending time wow. with our kids at home had changed the way they saw work. And now they were having conversations with their HR people who were also on the line about creating this hybrid mother where they're like, we might come into work two days a week, but the rest of the time we want to be at home with our kids. That was never, that was, those common conversations never, never an happened. Never an option. You know what I mean? Never you an never, option. Never they tell well, you, what do you mean you can't come into the office? <laughs> but now they're demanding it. Fathers are now demanding it. And they're like, no, that's what we want to do because they've been exposed to a brand new way of living. And I think that's where we need to keep on referring back to that. We have been given, yes, COVID was hard. It was tough. We lost 
people with lost loved ones, not denying that part. But through that pain and that anguish, something good has to come out of it. Mm. And for that to come out of it, we have to be intentional. We have to hold on to those lessons. We have to adjust to the new normal and the new lifestyle and carry those lessons forward. If not, we just went through a pain and anguish for no real reason. And that's just yeah. how I see it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, speaking about the work that you, you do with My Mind, uh, My Mind Matters, why was it, what was it around mental health that drew you into, into that field, especially mental health with young people? Um, yeah, so um, I was 13 when I was first diagnosed with um, severe depression, and anorexia, anxiety and paranoia. And um, not growing up in London, grew up in a small village in Milton Keynes. Um, you know, there wasn't people that looked like me. Like, we're the only black family in our neighbourhood. And, um, you know, I being back home during lockdown made me realise, like, wow, like, you know, this is this is what I grew up with. Um, like, I'd go to the park, go for walks, wouldn't see someone of colour for maybe even 30 minutes. Sometimes I wouldn't see it at all. So, like, you know, it was very, very clear that I was different. And I think because I hadn't really seen mental health representation, particularly around eating disorders and like being anorexic in the black community, like everything I read, all the people that spoke about eating disorders, everyone that spoke about depression, anxiety were all white. So I thought there must be something wrong with me. Is it because we live in this area? Like it's just like flooded in, but I just felt so different. Like, excuse the pun, but I genuinely felt like the black sheep, like everything was zooming in on me and um sadly I had my first suicide attempt at the age of 14 and um I had my second at the age of 16 so if you can imagine like these are re- this really young age you know this is a really young age like this is before I'd even taken my GCSEs this is before I'd even reached the age of 16 like this was all happening while I was an adolescent but a really young teenager And um, I often get asked the question and at that time they were like, but what was going on? Like what triggered it? Um, Like you're so young, like you probably had everything. And I I think that's why I had to do the work that I was doing um, to prove that mental health doesn't have a face and that actually just because you have all of these things doesn't mean the pain doesn't exist, right? It doesn't mean that your feelings are invalid or that you're being selfish or being like, um, not grateful for these things. There are a lot of other factors that can contribute to having poor mental health, apart from having the riches and, you know, having an amazing family. That could still not be a cure for what you're feeling. It, it's a lot deeper than this. And um, I was seen by CAMS, you know, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service. And again, like through the services, no one looked like me. Um, luckily, the second therapist I had was an Asian lady. So she could see that my name was like Meg Zenat Wamithi. She saw the Zenat and she goes, oh my goodness, like, do you know what that, you know, do you know what your name means? Like, Zenat is a really, really precious name in um, Arabic and in Indian cultures. There was an actor called Zenat and the translation means beauty. And she was like, I just want you to know that whatever you're going through right now doesn't defeat how beautiful you are how beautiful your future could be and how beautiful life can be like these things happen and it was the first time I didn't have to explain cultural differences like she kind of got it and it wasn't exactly the same you know Asian and you know African very 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 different 
but it was a step closer. And sadly then, like, CAMS wasn't an amazing service. When you turned 18, they basically said, happy birthday, off you go. No transition period into adult services. So coming from Milton Keynes and starting university in London, yeah, it was tough, you know, moving to a completely different city, you know, the different zones. Mate, travelling in London is not as easy. Like, Londoners don't realise it. <laughs> they don't realise... I saw zones, I saw overground, underground, I was a DLR, I said, what? What's going on? <laughs> I just, I didn't know where to start. And, like, that's how it kind of feels like navigating through the mental health space as well. Because where I lived is one catchment area. Where I study was another catchment area. The fact that my GP was registered at home, I had to speak to over... I think like 21 different mental health professionals just to wow. try and get a service. And sadly, I had a breakdown and I was proactive. I looked for help. I, you know, was speaking about it. I was calling these services. Like I was like an investigator. I was not trying to suffer alone. Like I could see the signs. I could see a relapse happening and I needed support because I felt like I couldn't keep myself safe. And every single time I'd ring someone and they'd ask me to explain my story into detail. This could be a possible trigger warning, but they'd ask me, why do you feel like that? Why do you want to kill yourself? Why do you want to end everything? And, you know, after the first time you felt heard, but three, four, five times, ten times after that, when you're explaining the same thing over and over again, I just had enough. I just felt like all I'm getting to, I'm not even getting past stage one. And every single time the response was, wow, you're, you know, a critical case. And it just wasn't adding up because if I was a critical case, why am I not receiving this support? Why are they referring me to someone else that I need to talk to? And I just felt completely and utterly lost. And it was like a light switch. For me, my breakdown was I became incredibly depressed and anxious. I had something at university called Reading Week. And it was one week, <laughs> roughly around this time. Um, and, you know, I felt so tired, physically tired. I slept. I felt like, oh my goodness, I just need to sleep. One week turned into another week, turned into another week. And it'd been eight weeks since I'd left my house. I felt physically anxious to leave my house. I felt like I wasn't safe outside. And after all of those no's, even though you're trying to get help, I just felt like I was in this alone. I felt like there was no way out for me. And I remember on my 20th birthday, my friends tried to make it really special. I really didn't want to celebrate it at all. Like I, I didn't want to celebrate my birthday because truth be told, I didn't think I'd make it to my 21st birthday. I didn't even think I'd make it to my 20th birthday. And um, I instantly woke up feeling miserable and I said right my friends are coming they've just told me that they're going to be at my house in 30 minutes I need to put some makeup on and get out and it's the first time I'd stepped out in weeks and you know from the moment I got out I felt like just an empty shell there wasn't Meg I was completely disassociated the whole day they were taking pictures and like my friend had bought really cool camera she was taking pictures and when I look back at those pictures you can see how miserable I was even though there was a smile like when you look closely mm. I'd lost so much weight and even behind the makeup you could see how sunken my eyes were and everything and I look back on that and I'm like on the surface everyone probably saw you know a smile like really cool photo for my birthday like it looked really sweet but inside I was dying and probably no one realised that after I'd gone out for sort of breakfast with my friends, I felt like 
everything else in the world was sped up. You know, when you watch a film and I was on slow motion, like everything yeah. was moving so quickly. And instantly I knew in that moment that was the day that I was going to try and take my life. And sadly, on my 20th birthday, after that sort of morning, I tried to end it all. And I thought this was the time that it was, I genuinely didn't think I was going to survive this suicide attempt at all. I thought that was going to be it for me. And then when it was happening and what happened is like in my um, flat building, there's like a rooftop, which I tried to um, jump off. The security guard came just before it happened and grabbed me. And at this point, I wasn't a Christian. And I genuinely now know that that is only God. Because, listen, if I'm trying to take my life, why are you trying to save me? There must have been something more that was needed. And I instantly fell to the ground crying. And that was the first time I'd felt something in a while. I don't know. He must have been, like, after a certain time, they need to look up the rooftop they always do it so I think he must have been doing his normal round and this is one of the security guards like most of the security guards in London are black you know African black and I always call them uncle you know my mum would pack me food I'd give them food and you know we'd always catch up and he could tell like I probably wasn't in the best space because I remember coming back from the evening and like there was tears in my eyes and I just didn't speak I went straight to my flat and um yeah, I, I I genuinely don't know. And that's the thing, like, it can only be God because how does that happen? How does that happen? I'm over the banister, ready to go. Like, as in the moment and you catch, like, I just don't get it even now. Like, I'm so grateful to God because, you know, that could have been it for me. And something that could have been solved if someone, someone just picked up the right phone and instead of diverting me, or if I'd known about other services than just the NHS, so after that, I decided that, well, I guess, and this sounds really, really silly to say, but I guess ending my life isn't working. So I'm going to have to live. And if God is going to kill me in some way, you know, take me away in some way, it's definitely not at my own hand. So I said, you know what? It is what it is. And I said to myself, I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, just for one year, I want to feel happy. I want to feel proud of myself. I want to feel what it feels like to live, you know, live without fear. And I decided to change. I wanted to change. I said, if it's just a year where I just put as much effort and like, I try and fix myself. I work to, you know, find out better resources. And I used to be one of the vice presidents for a com like a committee, a society at university called King's Think Tank. And it's the largest um, student led think tank in Europe. And our core committee, we get to run projects and we get to choose from four different topics, which is like homelessness, um, mental health. I think the other one is to do about law and equality and um, another one to do with PTSD, so armed forces. And um, I instantly said mental health and I, I said to the team, like, I really want to run with mental health. So we did some brainstorming. And in 2017, um, Theresa May, when she was still president, they released the Green Paper Forward, which was just basically provisions about the fact that they were changing the budget for mental health. And I read through this bill for our research and I got so frustrated because there were budget changes to everything apart from young people's mental health. There was things for under 18s, for schools, for workplace, but nothing for young adults. And if you saw the stats and figures that year, we were the highest represented population in suicide rates. We were the highest population in referrals and yet no one was doing anything. And I remember 
talking to everyone saying like, I just want to tell the government that my mind matters too. And it was like a light bulb. I said to everyone, stop what you're doing. If someone's got paper, write it down, write it down, write it down. This is what we're going with. And I'm so proud to say like what started off as a campaign in March, 2018, which was just to raise awareness and, you know, provide research to the government to get young people's voices heard has transformed not only into this research and development company, but now into our new identity as MindMapper. And MindMapper is this virtual mental health gym and it's all come from our research. It's all come from sharing the story. And my mission is always gonna be that no one has to go through what I did. I want everyone to be able to, you know, access support, mental health support, in a way that suits them. I want someone to know about where they can go for support and not feel the way I did calling so many people and it feel like a treasure hunt to find support. Like that's just not what it is. You know, if you need support for your physical health, you just go to the NHS and you get an appointment. Why do we not get that for mental health? So we wanted to create the largest database of mental health resources and services, which we've done. Now we have the largest library, but we wanted to go a step further. We wanted to give people empowerment to realise that, you know, looking after your mental health is a lifelong journey. And here are the tools to be able to look after yourself and create your own gym, you know, your own way of building your mental fitness and learning that this is something you can train. Right. And that's where we are today. So it all really did start off with my story. I never spoke about my mental health. It was in the closet, even though I'd been suffering for almost eight years before my suicide attempt, my last suicide attempt. I decided to, to share it because it wasn't fair on myself. You know, I wanted to be able to explain why I couldn't sometimes go to people's birthdays because of the anxiety, why I didn't feel comfortable going out to certain venue because of like my skin, you know, why I wasn't wearing like certain things because of like my self-harm scars, you know, like these are all things that I felt ashamed of, but kind of what we've been talking about metamorphosis and the things happening underneath the surface in this cocoon, this is all part of my cocoon. This is all part of my identity. And I think at the time of where I am now, where I'm lacking a lot of self-confidence and sort of self-esteem and kind of that willingness to understand that I'm, I've got so far already. These are all reminders that that Meg who was 13, who was completely lost is still with me today, but she's grown. Like I don't have good days all the time. I'm not amazing, you know, every single day, you know, when we were supposed to film this, like for, for everyone listening, we were supposed to film this two weeks ago, but I was in such a bad mental health space that we had to put it off. And I think something that I'm so proud of is my ability to own this pain, my ability to own my mental illness and to not let anyone else own that narrative apart from me. I have a mental illness. Now I've been recently diagnosed with BPD, which is borderline personality disorder, but that's part of me. And everyone says like, oh, you should, you know, a lot of my therapy sessions and conversations with mentors and friends have been around, you know, your mental illness is not your only identity. But I don't want to strip that away because I want people to realise that these can be characteristics or factors within your identity, but they don't need to be the whole thing. For me, my mental illness is my superpower because I finally feel like I can explain all the things that were happening in my head. Yeah. I can explain to you why I feel super sensitive, why I felt so anxious that I couldn't have that conversation with you the first time. But now I'm here to speak to you about it. 
And I think that's a big deal. So if there's anything that, you know, why I'm doing this mental health is so that people can realise that, you know, your mental health, your mental illness, this pain, this trauma can be your superpower. I want to be able to redefine vulnerability into strength and make people realise that being a human being living through this and being a real person and a real super figure, you know, a real change maker is what the world needs. People don't want to see just the before and after. Let's get comfortable with the in-between, you know, let's get comfortable with the in-between. Wow. When you talk about making a decision to live, even the words that you use, because there's a difference between living and existing. And so wow, many yeah. people just exist and you're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to get on with life. You're like, no, what's it like to actually live? What's it like to thrive? What's it like to have everything that I think of in my head, but I've been scared to do, well, I'm just going to go for it because I just want to see what it's like for you. And through the hardest periods of your life, you have been able to go out there and, and create something which is impacting the lives of so many other people. The fact that you have to go through 20 plus people to speak about mental, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And you see the amount of money being wasted on so many ridiculous things. And you're like, but this is something that's important. The mental health, I know for years it's been hidden and it's always the ones that people don't really want to talk about especially then when you go into another layer of black communities and black cultures you don't really want to talk about that there's so many yeah. layers to that but yeah this is something that we all live with on a day-to-day basis this is something that is so important to all of us because it's how we all operate it's how we all go to work it's how we all speak to people that we love and that we care about so this was so much more devoted in the fact that you took the initiative to devote time and effort and use your story to be like, actually, I'm no longer staying quiet about this. I'm going to speak about it. I'm not just speak, build and create something so that people don't go through what I go through is so, so, so powerful. And I think it's something that you also touched on when you said, this is part of who I am. It's part of my identity. It's not all of me. I'm not defined by my mental health or my mental illness. It's just part of who I am. I can recognize it. I can shine a light on it. I can speak about it, but it's not all encompassing. And so Mm. many times people think that, oh, when you have something wrong with you, you become that thing. It's like, no, that thing is just just part of who you are. So I'm so glad of how you really articulated that and captured that so people can recognize that you're going to have different things wrong with you. It might not be mental health. It might be something else. It might be autism. It might be a completely thing that, you don't that you don't want to talk around but Mm. it's okay to shine a light on it it's okay to talk about it. it's okay to recognize it. it's okay to get help about it but it does not have to define who you are society doesn't have to define who you are because like you said you've gone on to then create something that's massive you've gone on to create a career you've gone on to create and do so many numerous things you haven't let it pigeonhole you or stop you from becoming who you really need to be Thank you. <laughs> nah, thank you. That really does like mean a lot. And um, I was just thinking about just like other things that have like really changed for me. One thing that I think is really important is being able to change your environment. Like everyone talks about wanting to be a change maker, wanting to be someone who's going to lead the world, you know, Fortune 500 company, da 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 da. But I think that we have several different worlds. So we have the world out there, then you have your own personal world. And I think this is something that's become super apparent 
with COVID-19. And I said, like, I want to be able to change my world, my common people that I see on a daily basis. And if I can help just one person, that's enough. And like seeing how much it's influenced my family, my friends, like teams that I build, like everything has a mental health narrative. And um, for me, something so simple has been the way we talk about it. So my family have been amazing through it. And I think one thing I want everyone to realize is, you know, just because your culture may seem very stigmatized towards it doesn't mean your family will be. There's just a level of processing. You know, this is very, very new to a lot of the generations, but that doesn't mean that they won't love you and won't be there to support you because, you know, my family are from an African background, but they have been the best support network in the world. And the more open I am with them and the more I bring them on this journey, you know, I'm just so lucky, so fortunate to be able to, you know, have a safe space where people just get me and will love me unconditionally. And like, it's so nice to be able to talk to my family and, you know, even my grandparents, you know, about the fact that I'm on meds, you know, I'm eating better. Like we have catch-ups every week and my granny always asks, how are we doing this week? How's your mental health? You know, like on a scale of one to 10, like it's something I started with my friends to be able to articulate maybe what was going on, I'd talk about my mental health on a scale in terms of number. And then it started off with my teams, you know, and then it started off with my family. Like we all talk in numbers, like how are you doing today on a scale of one to 10? Okay, cool. Because it allows you to talk more about why this number today and in a way that doesn't feel scary about feelings. It's just a number, you know, and that has helped massively. And, um, seeing my friends and family replicate this in their other you know their other environments has been just amazing to see because where it used to be something that was so uncomfortable and hidden under the carpet is something I feel so comfortable to talk about with the people that matter the most to me so it doesn't feel like I'm on this journey alone because you don't need to be on it alone right so that's been like a huge factor that has changed things for me and it's definitely like a part that I wanted to kind of share with you something that happened at work so at the moment like the things I split my time with I am the CEO of my company I'm also running my own company under obviously Megzine at Wamithi as my consultancy so I work with large corporate companies um, helping them build mental health infrastructures and then being a international speaker but while I'm not at university so I'm in my final year of university at King's College London while I'm not at university I work part-time for a local council so I'm a project manager there and um, something that I really wanted to implement is again like mental health rounds in my one-to-ones and in my meetings with my team and um, we just hired sort of three new people and this guy came from a very corporate background and um, I think being a young manager has come with so much fear and anxiety because I get worried like all my team are sort of twice my age and I get worried about sharing my age a lot but one thing I'm realizing is that I have value and I've was you know I was hired because of the value I have and I'm not dismissing like anyone else's value but I remember that every opportunity I have personally is an opportunity to teach someone something new a new way and this guy was being very very difficult like I mean he was cutting people off he was really snappy he was sticking it on people and I was like bro this is your first meeting you've only just started this is wild and my team is filled with a lot of volunteers 
that are, you know, haven't been, you know, in work for years, they've had mental breakdowns, they've struggled like with significant mental illnesses and mental health challenges. So I've worked for eight months to build this team to be confident, they lead sessions, you know, they lead presentations in our meetings, this has been a huge step. And I realised when this person came in, like how much of a virus they were. And um, Pastor Mike Todd talked about this in terms of like how one person can be something. And the metaphor he uses, like when you create an omelette and you have four good eggs and one bad egg, the whole omelette is spoiled. And I constantly think that way with teams and things in my life. Like when one thing is negative and has this like really toxic energy, it's enough to ruin everything. So I, I was like, cool, I need to talk to this person now or he's gonna have to go. Like one thing I've realized again is choice. When you are a business leader, you have a choice with the environment you build. You have a choice with the type of values you add. You have a choice with the type of leader or manager you wanna be. And um, this was something that changed me. It's the first time I had to have, have like, you know, a stern conversation, one-to-one -one disciplinary. And I was panicking the whole time. Like I really don't like confrontation. And I basically pulled this guy up and was just like, unfortunately you made a lot of members of the team feel uncomfortable. and. I think I really, again, metamorphosed, became the type of manager I wanted to be. Mm. I realised that it was about breaking things down and taking responsibility for myself as well as a leader. And also, you know, bringing this person along. I don't want people to change. I want them to bring their whole self. But I want people to realise that there are people that are different from you. And it's about being sensitive and being reflective of your own actions and realising that in different situations, you need to behave and communicate differently because not everyone's going to be as confident as you. Not everyone can speak as well as you and having patience. Um, and where it became very confrontational at first, he realised because I gave him two scenarios of when he was really great. When we first met him, he came to one of our events and everyone loved him. And I said, where's this version of you? This is the version that we need because this is the one where people feel confident, like you're gonna be a great leader one day and a great teacher because everything that's in your head, but the type of person that you brought to the meeting today wasn't, and it can put a lot of people off. And we wanna be here as a team to support you get there. And the only thing that's stopping it is you, you have a choice. We can't force you to do anything. So you're gonna come along with the team or you're gonna be that person that holds everyone back people forget how much influence and impact you have on people around you. That one word you say, that one shout you give to someone, the one no can change someone's life. So it's just about being a little bit more sensitive and also learning how you communicate well. And um, that's something that I'm really, really pushing business leaders out there. How can you become a little bit more real? How can you become a more real leader in terms of it's not just about productivity, like something I've definitely learned about being a CEO and being a business leader and a manager is if you invest in the people, productivity will come Naturally. tenfold, yeah. tenfold, right? And if you invest in creating environments where everyone's differences can flourish by building it on feelings, like ask your team, this is how we shaped our values as a company and how I shape my values as a team. I ask every individual person, how do you want to feel like when you come into the office every day, when you come into work? How do you want to feel? 
And then I built values on that. People said they wanted to feel inspired. People said they wanted to feel safe. People wanted to say that they wanted to learn something new every day. And I was like, okay, cool. How can we shape this as part of our core machine as a company, as a team, as a mission? And that's completely transformed because everyone feels comfortable to say, do you know what? My mental health today is not the one. But they come to the meetings every time. People still show up because they realise this is a space where they can fall and feel like they can be catched by everyone else around them. They can feel caught by their team. So that's just definitely something I kind of wanted to share because I think you know, we're going back to, you know, a normality um, in the way that we probably knew before. But these are some lessons that everyone can take on. Like, how can you shape your environment to be more mentally health friendly? And it's something so simple by being vulnerable yourself, but opening up the space. Stop putting it in this cocoon where no one gets to see or speak about how they truly feel. Let's open it up. And, and again, talk about the in-between. Yeah, authentic leadership is something that is personal to me. It's how I teach, it's how I coach my clients, because people get to see the real you and the transparent you, and that's who they want to get to know. That's who they want to work for. That's who they want to show up for on a day-to-day basis. And it's not always easy to do, but it's just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. And one thing even this whole period has definitely shown that people, like, like prior to this, we had a separation of work is here, home is here, that was it. Now everything's kind of been blurred together. And now people want to keep that identity of work and life. But then if you're having work and life together, you also then need to then go another step further and be like, who is that real person? Who's the mm. person behind that work and life? Which means breaking things down, which means getting to know people on a deeper level and actually building meaningful relationships. And I'm glad how you described how you've modeled that within your organization. Also something you touched on as well around giving, giving feedback. And when you give that person the feedback, you were able to give him clear examples to be like, this is this is who you, we want, this is who you were, this is what people saw, and this is who you are right now. But you make such a massive difference. Because so often people get feedback and they're like, you're bad at this, you're bad at that, and you need to I fix don't get up. it. But yeah. it's like, he's like what, what, what's the comparison? What, what am I trying to aspire to? There's nothing whatsoever. You see that happen to I'm like, that's rubbish feedback. You might as well just shut up. Like, cause you haven't helped anyone just confuse the situation. But by being able to be like, actually, there's two different sides. Here's the good one. Here's what we want to see. Here's why we want to see it. Here's the bad one. Here's the impact it has on other people. You can yeah. then get people to then think, um, think through, think through both models. But also, I've also seen people then start to share, like, actually, the reason why I was like this was because of X. Now I'm like this because of Y, because I'm going through stuff. And I've seen even that in feedback sessions break down barriers and break down people to be able to open up a lot more, which automatically gets them back to where you want them to be, but also builds the relationship, which is what you're really trying to do in, in the first place. So I'm actually curious to understand from your perspective, how do you define leadership? Do you know what? I think this is a good question because I think I would always have an answer to this. Always, 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 always. I'd be like, oh, to me, leadership means this. But I think for the first time in this season that I'm in, I can't tell you, I'm learning. And the things that I'm learning about is leadership is winning from the back. It's about encouraging others to win. And as a process, stepping back and pushing means that you win in the process. I think leadership is about 
constantly showing people what they don't see in themselves. You know, for me as a leader in my company, I've always put personal development at the forefront um, because I knew I wanted people to come into the team, become even better, you know, grow and change um, and pick up new skills because if they develop and grow, so does the company, so do we as a team. I think leadership is accepting responsibility that you're wrong. Oh my goodness, I am clear. Responsibility is not something I shy away from. I can say I am wrong. I say, team, listen, I don't know what's going on at the moment. I don't have the answers, but I'll find it for you. Give me some time, come on this journey. Being a leader is about sometimes saying the things that people don't want to hear. What I learned yesterday, you know, having these uncomfortable conversations, it's about spotting things early and making those changes and helping people make those changes with you. I think being a leader is also about, you know, stopping. I think a lot of people don't realise when you need to stop, when you need to cancel, you know, completely chuck away some things. You know, being a leader is about making good decisions and I think any decision that you make is a good decision. It's about what you do after you make those decisions. And I think so many people lack leadership because they can't make decisions. They don't realize that any decision is a good decision. And the part of leadership is not just decisions, it's about the in-between. You make a decision and then it's like, cool, what do we do now? That's what people are relying you on. And I think being a leader is also about direction. Can you shine a torch on the path for everyone else to go with you? Can you open up the fort? You know, imagine like this is going through a sea. Are you going to part the sea so we can all walk? Sometimes being a leader is about doing the scary thing first to show everyone else that it's possible. Um, So those are like a few things that I'm learning. Um, But I also think being a leader comes with a lot of stress, you know, and a lot of you know, imposter syndrome so many times, you know, how many leaders face imposter syndrome? Am I the right person to be doing this? You know, am I good enough? Surely I shouldn't be. Am I doing it right? Oh, that was such a rubbish meeting. Oh my goodness, I'm letting the team down. Comes with so many anxieties. Will we be here tomorrow? People are relying on me. I don't know the answers. Um, You know, it comes with a lot of failure as well you know leaders we fail every day I don't know about you but the amount of times I've failed and been like boy you know one thing that I'm completely comfortable with sharing is like even for mind mapper like the company like us changing into this product instead of the services of you know like consultancy and research and development since we realized with my co-founder since sort of December December 2019 we have had over 12 different ideas that we have tested pivoted markets we've tried 12 different ideas why it's because sometimes being a leader is about accepting that even when you make decisions and these ideas and you have these initiatives and you have all of these wonderful things that you're working on the in-between that you can't see makes you feel like things aren't working when they are, you know, it's trusting in the process and trusting in the time. And I think as a leader, I didn't realise that. And I wasn't clear enough to make the decision, which was like, let's just stick with one thing and work at it. 
you know, delayed gratification. We don't talk about that enough. Like everyone talks about starting a business, you have your first client, then you have your second client, then you're raising funds, da, 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 but that's not really what it's like. So I think like being a leader is about, you know, being willing to do the ugly and boring things, you know, so that everyone else on the surface that becomes those butterflies, it looks effortless. Um, I think that's that those are a few things that are in my head. But to tell you the truth, yeah, I think I'm learning. I think I'm learning about what being a leader is and what type of leader I want to become. So I'm definitely on that journey. I don't think I'm there yet, but I'm proud to say I think I'm on the right path. I love that breakdown of saying, I don't know, but yeah, here's a list. <laughs> <laughs> is going to be what is the one thing that you wish you were asked but you never asked <laughs> whoa that is a, I don't think I've ever been asked that question no <laughs> way I've definitely never been asked that question my goodness what is the one thing I haven't been asked that I wish I was asked yeah what did I used to want to be growing up? I think that's a question. Um, like, how have things changed for me? Like, what, what did I think I was going to become? I think too often people focus so much on the future and don't take time to process the past. And that's why so many of us, it's almost like, this is a bit too graphic but let me use this metaphor you know when like you are slaughtering a chicken and the head comes off but it's still walking random like it's still got some life into it I feel like so many of us are doing that like just aimlessly just running around in this frantic mess that we call life because we haven't processed a lot of the things from our past this DNA this caterpillar we're stopping from going into the cocoon you know and um I think that's a question I think. What's the answer? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> but I wanted the suspense. I wanted the suspense. I was like, is he going to ask me? What's is he going to ask, ask me or not? Um, <laughs> I think there's two things. I speak about this so much. Like something I'm so passionate about is science. Like I used to be a big science head, like talented and gifted, you know, working maybe three academic years before my age. Um, coming into sort of secondary school and already doing GCSE and A-level papers, um, which I really thank my family for, like a lot of home tutoring. But science was something that just amazed me because I think there were so many things that we hadn't learned yet. And something I really wanted to be was an astrophysicist. I wanted to be an astronaut. I was like, I'm definitely going to be the first person on Mars. I think there's so much life out there. I think we can transform. I think I could save the world in terms of global warming and figuring out how we look after our, you know, our Earth the way we should be. And um, I want to talk about this because I think something I'm really passionate about is also education. And I think teachers don't realise how much of an impact that they can have on a child's life. Um, being talented and gifted in my school where there's not a lot of black people, if there are any, was really difficult. I felt like my school didn't really know what to do with me. 
And um, when I used to say all these things, they would be like, mm, are you sure? And I even remember one family member said to me, they were like, you might not want to go into astrophysics or being an astronaut because there's a very, very small likelihood that you would ever be. And it just put me off entirely. And I think that's probably one thing that could have shaped my whole my whole life. And if it wasn't astrophysics, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Like medicine was it for me. And it's so funny that I say this. And the reason I wanted this question asked is because on Facebook, if anyone ever even uses Facebook anymore, but Facebook, they had, you know, your memories and a memory from about sort of seven to 10 years ago, um, where people used to do the like for a like, or, you know, like for what I think you're going to become or you know, like what I like about you. I don't know what it was. And, um, it was on my wall and it was like three people that didn't like a like for me. And one of my old best friends must have wrote on my wall, um, one day you're gonna save the world. You're gonna become a fantastic surgeon or doctor who's gonna save so many lives. And it's funny because that was the thing I loved. Like medicine is something I loved, but I think the negative words of, you know, everyone around me and this noise, you know, so often we have noise. And again, a metaphor I'd love to use, you know, on the radio, when you're tuning and all that noise, you have to kind of get through all the noise to get to the actual radio station that you're static. looking for. The static nonsense, the the buffering. Yeah. Um, I feel like so many of us don't hear the fine tuning. We hear the buffering, the staticness, the noise. And that's all of the people saying that you can't do this, you shouldn't do this. There's no one that looks like you there. And maybe if I was a little bit more confident, if I was more confident in myself and my abilities, maybe I would have pushed out that noise and focused on the clear, the clear sound that I should have been listening to, which was my voice and God's voice. And I just kind of definitely want to challenge all of us today. How can we stop? tuning in to the static, the noise, you know, the distractions from everywhere else and fine tune into our voice. What do we want? What's the center of our being? Because I think that's really important. Like challenge yourself to, to get some of that creativity from the past. The things that are now bringing into my life from, you know, wanting to be an astrophysicist or wanting to be a neurosurgeon is I'm still doing something, but it's not physical health that I was looking at or it wasn't looking at transforming the world in terms of what we see physically it's about transforming the world through people you know and my science now is mental health and um yeah I'm just really proud to kind of see the old Meg that was super creative and thinking big and wanting to help people because there's still an element of helping people has become a thread into my life and it's it's proud I'm proud of it to just watch your watch your journey and watch your rise from where you were to what you're doing right now mm -hmm. and I'm also like where's this gonna go because I know there's so many levels and layers and aspiration and desires that you have and the fact that as you just mentioned right now you've been able to unwrap the the noise and get through and cut through that static to become who you are you only just started mm -hmm. you're still going through that cocoon you're still <laughs> like there's, there's more small butterfly stages to come. You've got to become a butterfly, become a cocoon again and kind of go through that. Yeah. But if it's all around people making an impact, making a change and making a difference, you're definitely doing that. And for someone who is young, but not letting that stop you, again, inspiring. And it's just been an absolute pleasure just watching your journey. And I look forward to seeing what's going to come next. Gonna start making me cry. <laughs> <laughs>
No, thank you so much. We said this was going to be a lot of fun and I just can't believe we've already finished. And I just thank you for constantly providing a platform for so many of us to share our stories and, you know, be that supportive network that we need. So your work and your efforts don't go on blinders. Like, I am so privileged to be on this today. So thank you for having me. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. This is Everyday Leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes, or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time in Everyday Leadership.